I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hey, everybody. It is Monday, May 13th, 2019. I just finished taking my last AP test, so I am as contented as I will ever be. And we've got a great episode today. Uh, we're recording it on Monday because, I don't know, just feel like it. It's been a week, and I feel like there's a lot of stuff to talk about. A uh, few things. One, I am listening to this great audiobook. Um, it's available as a, a book, too. It's called Those Guys Have All the Fun. It's about the uh, rise of ESPN into the behemoth that it's become today. And I'm a frequent watcher of ESPN and SportsCenter and all those things. And so this has been a great listen so far. I'm about a quarter of the way through. Uh, Would highly recommend. Another thing is due to some other circumstances, I may actually be be getting a better microphone. That's right. We are upgrading from the, uh, what is this, the microphone on my $30 earpods. Not AirPods, earbuds, regular earbuds with the wire and everything. And we may possibly be upgrading to a lapel mic starting next week. Uh, I will let you all know if that happens, and you'll probably be able to tell because of a difference in sound quality. So that's all very exciting, because we haven't had a major technological breakthrough on this show since, well, ever. Uh, This is basically being recorded the same way it was nearly two years ago, which is pretty crazy to think about, uh, nearly two years ago. But nevertheless... There's so much to get into in the uh, NBA this week, and so we're going to start it. Uh, If you're Adam Silver and you're watching the playoffs, I think this is just about the best outcome you could have hoped for, especially considering that the first round was relatively uneventful across the board. There weren't any upsets. Uh, There were two sweeps, four, four, one series. So there wasn't too much drama. But you come to the... Western Conference, or sorry, the uh, second round, and there have been some doozies. All four series have resolved now. We're actually at a perfect point to talk about this because none of the uh, Western Conference or Eastern Conference final series have started yet, Um, and so we are in a position to talk about the last four teams remaining, Um, but we're going to take a little retrospective look. Uh, I'm just going to skip the... Milwaukee Bucks. Actually, I'll talk about it for a little bit. Um, it's not the the Milwaukee Bucks role players. Uh, I don't even know if it's worth calling them role players. Basically, everyone besides Giannis uh, has really stepped up, uh, especially against Boston in those last four games. Remember, they lost in the first game by twenty plus points, and they came back and won the next four. Uh, George Hill, who's been pretty much known as a role player throughout his career in the NBA, has been making a big uh, big impact both energy and play. Uh, Chris Middleton uh, has been playing well as well, and then Giannis is doing his thing. It's disappointing for Boston because they came into this season with the expectation of, we've got our two stars back, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, and we're going to try to make some noise this year. But whether it's because they're not fully recovered from injury or something, uh, Gordon Hayward in particular was really ineffective in this series, uh, only scoring seven points per game. Uh, which is, uh, in 28 minutes per game, which is inexcusable for a player of his caliber, but really any player in particular. Um, and this team, the the window is really closing on them. 
because Kyrie could be going away in free agency this offseason. Al Horford is 32 years old now, and he was their third leading scorer uh, in this series. And if the Boston Celtics really want to compete for a championship, they're going to have to make some major roster changes, maybe dump some of their assets and get a, and get a superstar, because the Raptors are up and coming, the Sixers look really good, and the Bucks obviously just beat them in five in a gentleman's sweep after losing the first game at home. So Boston is in big trouble as far as the future of their franchise, which is crazy looking at it just two years ago before Hayward got hurt, of course. Uh, things were looking all rosy for Boston. I mean, they had a young core, and they had some veterans that were going to help supposedly bring them to the promised land uh, for the first time in a decade and, and lead them to championship, and it looked almost inevitable. And yet injuries and just people not playing up to par have limited them severely to the point where it's it's looking like uh, not a rebuild, but having to make some major roster changes is going to be necessary for them to make a dent uh, in this Eastern Conference, um, which is crazy. The other series in the Eastern Conference that Adam Silver must be very pleased about is the way the Raptors and Sixers series played out. Because the Toronto Raptors this season went out and got Kawhi Leonard because DeMar DeRozan is great and all, but Kawhi Leonard is a superstar and he has experience playing in superstar moments and boy did he show up. I mean, let's talk about Game 7 alone. Kawhi had 41 points in a closeout Game 7 in games where the Raptors uh, traditionally have trouble in big series, Kawhi Leonard stepped up big and was a great two-way player for them and led the, both teams in scoring, not to mention what everyone's been talking about, that game-winning shot. Kawhi dribbles to the right, fades on Joel Embiid, poetic if nothing else, hits off the front iron, hits off the front iron again, dribbles back, hits off the back iron, hits off the back iron again, and finally falls. There have been an infinite number of reactions to this. I think the thing that sticks out most to me was the cool pictures that came out of it. Go check out SportsCenter's Instagram. They have some amazing shots. Um, I forget the name of the photographer, but there are some phenomenal shots of watching Kawhi squatting and Embiid looking at the ball, and everyone's entranced by this ball. I'm sure in the second that the ball was on the rim, you could hear a pin drop in the Air Canada Center. And I think that's just the epitome of sports. The dr so much drama resting on one moment um, and watching everyone in the arena entranced by this one moment uh, is, is what sports is about. And Kawhi Leonard was brought on to Toronto to hit those big-time shots, um, and he did. He really did. And that's why I think this Raptors team is more dangerous uh, than, than in previous years. And I think the Raptors are going to make the finals. I think they are the favorite right now against Milwaukee. I think the Raptors, I, I could totally see this being another seven-game series. In fact, I think that's what it's going to end up being. Um, and that means Toronto's going to have to win a road game in Milwaukee in a game seven. But I think they can do that um, with Kawhi and Pascal Siakam um, and that complete team over there in up north. The Western Conference had some great series as well. Toronto. Uh, Portland and Denver played another seven-game series that went down to the wire. And in the only game 
Well, no. In this, only the second game where he led both teams in scoring, C.J. McCollum put up 37 points in the closeout game. Damian Lillard only had 13 points uh, to go along with it. But Portland was able to come back from 17 down, resilient as heck, coming back and winning this game on the road in a tough place to play in Denver. I mean, their arena has gotten really loud for the last couple of years, not to mention the altitude. Uh, so this is a remarkable win, especially... Uh, clutch moments from CJ. I wasn't able to watch a lot of this game because I was watching a baseball game. I was watching the Giants uh, at Oracle Park. But the Blazers are going to pose a real threat to the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors went two and two against them this year, and they're very fam- and the backcourts are very familiar with each other. Uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and then Steph and Clay, of course. Not to mention, I mean, Steph Curry or Seth Curry going against his brother has become a a, a formidable role player. Um, and so that's going to be fun to watch the two brothers going against each other, seeing who their parents are going to root for. Uh, I wouldn't be a, f- I don't think Steph would be offended if they rooted for Seth once, because Steph's already got three rings. But Portland is going to be a very tough matchup for Golden State, and it's a, it's about as close to a rivalry game you'll get, uh, with the exception of maybe the Clippers. But this is a rivalry game for Golden State and Portland, and it's a series. And even though divisions don't mean anymore, this many mean anything anymore. This is a divisional series, um, and so these fan bases are well acquainted with each other. These teams are well acquainted with each other, and this is going to be a, a fierce, fierce battle. But first, let me just do what I was planning what I was planning on spending a lot of time on and what I'm going to, starting now, is wrap up the Warriors and Rockets series uh, because there was a lot of drama, especially in the Game 5 and Game 6 period time period, and I think it's all worth going over. Because when Kevin Durant went down, there were a mix of reactions. Virtually everyone was concerned for him and his health and making and hoping that it wasn't an Achilles injury, which can be uh, months of recovery. And it luckily wasn't. It was a calf strain, so he may be back, or he will be back in the Western Conference Finals. But with Katie's injury, uh, we saw a... Well, first of all, Steph Curry stepped up big in Game 5, scoring 25 points, uh, and 22 of those coming in the fourth quarter. But with now that the Warriors won Game 5, they scraped by, there was a lot of discussion about what was going to happen to the Warriors once KD was down, because you have one of the best scorers in the game coming off of your team, and now you've got to go to the Toyota Center and win a, try to win a Game 6. I had no doubt that they were going to, if not win, at least be competitive uh, in Game 6. I mean, if the starting lineup in Game 6 brought back some flashbacks. It was Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, Andre Godala, Draymond Green, and Andrew Bogut. Uh, Bogut doesn't match up well against the Rockets, but they started him in Game 6 maybe as a symbolic move to set the tone a little bit. But I knew that without Kevin Durant, the Warriors were going to have to put an extra emphasis on ball movement and building the offense around Stephen Curry's playmaking ability. Steph's the best with the ball in his hands because he can run around screens and all that, but I think the main impetus for what Golden State does is forcing you to switch and ball movement. I can't tell you how many times I got excited because I saw Steph uh, run off to the hash hash mark, drag two defenders with him, dump it off to Draymond, and then Draymond making the decision. 
I think when KD, when they run that pick and roll with KD, which isn't nearly as often as they ran it in game six, KD is more focused on shooting and pulling up in the mid-range, which is a good shot. It's a great shot for him. But I think when you get Draymond driving the lane, looking for a layup or to dish it out, it's more of that traditional ball movement that the Warriors are used to running. And when you, when you can't dump it off to KD in ISO sets, that forces you to have to make decisions or feel your way up uh, or feel your way out in the game um, and try to develop a game plan without being able to have that fallback option. And in Game 6, what ended up happening was exactly that. And more importantly, everyone stepped up in that game for the Warriors when they had to. I mean, first of all, Stephen Curry, scoreless in the first half of Game 6, 0 for 5 shooting, comes back in the second half, 33 points on 9 of 15 shooting, 23 points in the fourth quarter, 16 points in the last 5 minutes. 16 points in the last 5 minutes by himself. And a lot of that was from free throws, but not nevertheless, what I was what excited me the most about that last stretch was some of those vintage Steph threes because he's been struggling with his shot all series, whether that's because of uh, I don't know his other hand or whatever, some mental thing. But when he was able to get some of those old Steph shots off, the dribble right, take two dribbles and fade in the corner, or pull up from way downtown and hit it with the ultimate confidence. That's what his bread and butter is from, as far as shooting the ball is concerned. Um, and, and it was great to see that. Also, just hurting his hand with three minutes to go and then being able to play through it, uh, that's guts if I've ever seen it. Um, and he didn't complain about it. He just kind of winced in pain a couple of times, then just went off and did his business. Uh, this was the ultimate drama, and it, it came out the perfect way if you're a Warriors fan. One, one stat that stuck out to me about Steph, with his eight free throws at the end to ice the game, he has now made 76 straight free throws in the fourth quarter and overtime, uh, which, just take a step back and think about it. I, don't, I think it's four years he hasn't missed a free throw in the playoffs in the fourth quarter and overtime. I mean, this is the most pressure-packed situation, right? Is it the playoffs, it's the end of the game, the crowd might be cheering against you. And to go up and hit free throws. And the free throws that he shot at the end of the game didn't even hit rim. Uh, I mean, they were just straight through the bucket. And no matter the whatever stuff you might be going through, you might not be having a bad shooting night, uh, you might be having a great shooting night, but the one thing you control, one thing you can control are the conditions at the free throw line. No matter how much, how well the other team is playing defense, you know that when you're at the free throw line, there'll be three guys on one side, three guys on the other side, and then nothing between you and the rim. And when Steph has those conditions, he doesn't hesitate, and he hits those shots. So Steph Curry, definitely coming up big in Game 6 and answering really any doubts people had about him uh, in the last in these playoffs, and he'll never have to answer to that again. Also, Clay Thompson... Game 5 had 27 points, Game 6 had 27 points, including 7 for 13 from 3, and he faded off a little bit at the end. I mean, he was hot in the very beginning. And what Clay's role was, was Steph Curry really came through at the end and ran the show, and everyone just kind of was able to work around him. But early in the game, when Steph was not shooting it well, and more importantly in foul trouble, Clay Thompson was giving the Warriors momentum and keeping them in the game, because the Rockets were shooting well too in the, at the start of the game. And they needed Clay Thompson to stay in it uh, because 
with Steph out and the bench not being what it used to be, we knew that it was going to have to be Clay, uh, who hit those threes to stem the tide, prevent the crowd from getting too into it, preventing the Rockets from going on a fifteen nothing run or whatever. And that's what he was able to do, and that's that was crucial to their game six win. Also, I mean, shout out to the bench. They had 33 points in Game 6, including 14 from Kevon Looney and 11 from Sean Livingston, who actually had a plus 14 on that game also. The bench has been much maligned this year and in these playoffs, uh, and partially rightfully so. I mean, they don't have many pure scorers on that bench that you know can come in and get you five or six buckets, uh, at least not like it used to. I mean, Quinn Cook can do that, but he's a little unreliable. Sean Livingston doesn't have the... uh, legs and and his mid-range isn't as good as it used to be although it's still very serviceable uh and so this bench was able to come in and put up big numbers also Kavon Looney holding down the middle uh and this is not the bench but uh Andre Iguodala hitting five threes counts as another contribution from maybe an unexpected source because we knew the Rockets were gonna let him shoot threes and they let him shoot eight in this game but hitting five of them uh in addition to Clay was what was able to keep them in the game in that first half and prevent it from getting out of hand. So it was a total team effort from Golden State, and everyone stepped up when they had to. And that was crucial, and that's a key to success for them going forward. Now, during the broadcast, Jeff Van Gundy uh, of ESPN said that this is a signature win for Golden State, and I am inclined to agree. This was a win that proved to the doubters, proved to anyone who thought Golden State, because in 2015, Kyrie and Kevin Love were injured, and in 2017 and 18, they had Kevin Durant, uh, so this is not really as good of a team as everyone says it is. I mean, this proved, I mean, these were the worst conditions. They had, they were, they had no KD, Steph Curry was struggling shooting, and they were on the road in a tough Houston crowd where they had won, lost twice, and they went in and won. And that just goes to demonstrate that winning carries. If you have experience winning, you know what it takes to win. You know the formula. These guys have played with each other for five years now as currently constructed. They understand each other's tendencies. They understand who needs to get going. They know, they know when to pass to the hot player. Uh, Clay early, Andre getting good looks, Steph Curry at the end. Winners win. And that's why I'm, the Warriors, I think, still are the favorite to win the title, despite struggling at some points against Houston. Um, and I have no doubt that they will continue to do so. Uh, meanwhile, the Rockets still can't beat the Warriors, even with a golden opportunity. Uh, I already mentioned all the favorable conditions for Houston uh and that was just for game six, but overall, I mean, they had no, there was no KD. And I think the biggest difference, uh, what, it, what the series came down to was the backcourt. Uh, it really disappeared late in the game. I mean, CP3 had a great game six, but Harden in games five and six just disappears down the stretch. I don't know what it is. For whatever reason, he just can't get the same looks in the fourth quarter that he can in the first three. Now, part of that is the Warriors playing uh, more intensive defense and, and doubling on him late in games. But nonetheless, when he gets those, he's not getting those ISO looks where he's able to just uh, step back and shoot a three. It's just remarkable. I, I'm, I'm wondering if part of it is his legs running out of gas late because all those step backs maybe take a toll on him 
because uh, that's a move that he's kind of perfected like a machine. And if he's a little rusty or if he is running out of battery, then maybe that machine doesn't work as well. But for whatever reason, they just are not clutch. And in order to beat the Warriors, not only do you have to be very skilled, which they are, and they demonstrated that, uh, not only in games three and four, but in games one and two. I mean, they stayed close, and game five as well. All the games, really. But they were not able to be clutch in clutch moments in game five and in game six. Um, and that ultimately proved to be their downfall. And I, I have to wonder, I mean, is this the end of their run as they currently look with Daryl Morey at the helm and Dan Tony coaching and then Harden and CP3? Because this team looked pretty stacked. I mean, Capella, Gordon, Tucker, uh, Gerald Green, they have shooters in spades. And the fact that they weren't able to beat the Warriors, I, I think this may be the end of their run like this. I, I think something has to change. Because in 2020, uh, this it, it's going to be a, a very similar story. I can't believe 2020 is already next year. But not only with the Warriors, but with other teams. Um, and I don't uh, like the Blazers or the Nuggets. And I think that the Rockets need to switch up a little bit. I think they need to build more around the inside and maybe give away some of their shooters. I mean, they had a Reza just last year. Um, and maybe get an inside presence. Because right now all they have is Capella, who played miserably in the Western Conference Finals. Um, and I think that's going to be a major difference for them because you can't just shoot threes every single time down the floor, even if that's what they want to do. Because when you're cold, you're cold. And with the Warriors going on like 17 nothing runs in Game 5 and stuff like that, you can't let that happen, especially in crucial moments. So I think that's where the Rockets need to change their situation. But overall, it was a fun series. I mean, every game was decided by six points or less. All six games were decided by six points or less. And that demonstrates that this was a very close series, but ultimately Golden State came up bigger in four out of the six games. And that's what ended up being the difference, especially once KD went down. Everyone thought it was going to, or a lot of people thought it was going to be a Houston blowout, and rightfully so. I mean, the Warriors did not look very good even with KD. But Houston just wasn't able to come through when they needed to. And that ended up being the difference. As far as predictions go, I've got the Warriors uh, over the Blazers in the six. Uh, and as I said earlier, the Raptors over the Bucks in the seven. And I've got the Warriors winning in six. So those are my predictions. Um, but anything could happen. Anything could, anything really could happen, and I'm excited uh, for the rest of this NBA season. Quick take. Doug Baldwin has announced, Kyle Newport Bleacher Report, has announced that he is retiring from the NFL after eight seasons. It was because, apparently, of multiple injuries that he's been through over the last couple of years, and just the wear over time and just not wanting to go through it again. So he retires now with the second most receiving touchdowns in Seahawks franchise history and third most receptions and yards in Seahawks franchise history. Uh, he was undrafted out of Stanford, another undrafted player who had great success in the NFL. And Doug Ball, speaking with a personal touch to this, as a 49ers fan, 
I always respected Doug Baldwin because he was he never said anything bad off the field. I mean, Stanford products usually don't do that. And he always respected the game. He was a fierce competitor. He wanted to beat you, but he wasn't going to be a pain in the A about it. And he was very infuriating as a player for me. It seemed like every time there was a big catch, every time it was third down and 15, and Russell Wilson would take the snap, five-step drop, scramble left, scramble right, heave one 20 yards downfield into no man's land, Doug Baldwin would catch it. Or it would be a third down, and Doug Baldwin would just run a, a go route down the right sideline, and Russell Wilson would drop this perfectly placed ball right into Doug Baldwin's arms. I mean, they were a dynamic duo if I've ever seen one. And I will miss him and miss his competition. Uh, I won't miss seeing him play the 49ers. But I think Doug Baldwin, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but uh, he'll go down as one of the great receivers in Seahawks history, that's for sure. Uh, And I know everyone up there in Seattle will miss him, as it really is the end of an era. I mean, them releasing Cam Chancellor in, in addition to Doug and Richard Sherman being gone and, and a lot of those Legion of Boom, old Legion of Boom players off in new places. The Seahawks may have to start rebuilding soon, but and we'll see where, what happens to Russell Wilson. Um, but it was a great run, and Doug Baldwin leaving uh, is sad for football. Off topic, and... For the worse or for the better, I don't know, but I am going to talk about food again because I guess I just love it that much that I have to talk about it every week in this space that I reserve for something that's not related to sports, but has ended up becoming the Food Network. I am going to talk about this new place at Oracle Park, caught myself there, uh, where the Giants play baseball, because it is delish. It's called the 805 Carvery, and they have meats there. Uh, Not the other Carveries, the 805 Carvery, because they have this one food option. Three sliders. One slider has beef brisket. One slider has turkey. And one slider has corned beef. It is the best thing. It's only thirteen fifty, which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but it's not that much for ballpark food. Because the beef brisket just melts in your mouth, the turkey is delicious, and the corned beef is not too salty and still really good. Plus, you can top it. They have cranberry sauce for the turkey. They have horseradishes for the other meats. Plus, you got your barbecue sauce. It's available from the tap, so you can have as much of it as you want. I mean, I swear, this stuff is the most delicious stuff. Uh, and combined with, it, it, or it's a great lunch meal. You can eat it for dinner as well. Um, it's tucked nicely on the promenade level. If you go down the first baseline by the, uh, I forget, one of like the wine stands or whatever. It's in one of those little inlets. It's actually kind of a hole in the wall, if you can have a hole in the wall at a ballpark. But it's the 805 Carvery. Go get it, eat it. You will be very, very satisfied. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Check out the podcast everywhere, bit.ly slash thewongtakes, patreon.com slash thewongtakes, thewongtakes at gmail.com. Rate the podcast and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Send questions, leave voicemails. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, as always, and I will see you next week.